Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, and welcome to the new episode of Talking France, a podcast by our team at The Local, in which we'll update you on what's happening in France. In this week's episode, we find out why people in France could be facing a tsunami of rising prices in the months ahead. And the mayor of Paris is considering a ban on electric scooter rental schemes. Are they just too dangerous? Or do they offer a vital, environmentally friendly and exciting way to get around the city of light? We'll hear both sides of the argument. We'll also learn about a French philosopher known as BHL and find out why he's always in the wars, with his shirt half unbuttoned and his hair immaculately coiffed. And have you ever wondered why the streets of French town and city centres are home to so many independent shops and cafes rather than just the chain stores? We'll explain why. And a new international ranking shows the French are still lagging behind almost all of Europe when it comes to proficiency in speaking English. Now, we at The Local are in no place to lecture anyone about language ability, but are there reasons the French struggle compared to the Germans or Nordic countries? And could they one day top the rankings? I'm Ben McPartland, and this week I'll be joined by our usual guests, the local France's editor Emma Pearson, journalist Jen Mansfield, and politics expert John Litchfield, as well as our French language expert Camille Chevalier-Carfis. On we go. Emma, Jen, good to have you with us again. And Jen, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Where are you celebrating today? So I am actually celebrating in Luxembourg with the ambassador. <laughs> Why are you celebrating with the ambassador, Jen? Because uh, he's my uncle. <laughs> ah, your uncle's the U.S. ambassador to Luxembourg. He is, yeah. He's also the former mayor of Milwaukee, if that means anything to any of okay. our listeners. And he's invited you to his uh, residence for Thanksgiving. Emma, fancy it? Uh, yeah, why, why not? Do you, do you think he'd like a couple of Brits coming along too? I think they'd be more than happy Just to have a couple of Brits Put a joining. word in for us, Jen, please. Emma, you're back with us this week. Where were you last week? Uh, I was in Marseille. Any uh, reason? Yes, I mean, never need a reason to to visit Marseille because it's a very fun city, one of my favourites in France. But I was there for the rugby. Uh, I saw France-South Africa, which was brilliant, great match. And I think they were kind of using this as like a test run for the Rugby World Cup, which is in France next year. So pre-match, we had flags, we had fireworks, we had music. The atmosphere was brilliant. And I honestly think the World Cup is going to be great. When's the World Cup again? It's next year, this time next year. In France? In France, yep. And it's going to be spread all around France. So the whole thing is that they're trying to have it in as many different locations as possible. So there's going to be matches in Paris, obviously, but there's going to be matches in, in Marseille, in Toulouse, in Lille, in Nice, all over the place. Speaking of good atmospheres, I was a, a kind of charity event on the banks of the Seine on Saturday night to basically raise money for Marie Curie. It was a walk with a few thousand people, loads of kids along the beautiful banks of the Seine in the dark holding lights. And a really funny thing happened. Well, I found it funny anyway. I was We were going under the bridge, one of the pond near the Quai d'Austerlitz. And as I do when I'm normally going under a bridge on a, on a running event like I used to do in the Great North Run in the north of England, I shouted, Oggy, oggy, oggy. Now normally when you do that in, in England at a run, people respond, oi, oi, oi. It's a kind of done thing. So I just for a laugh, I went, oggy, oggy, oggy. And the whole of the crowd just started cheering. <laughs> and I went wild. And then 
On the way back, going under the bridge, all the Frenchies were doing oggy, 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 oi, oi, oi. Like, it just totally picked on, so I expect to hear it in the Paris Marathon next oh, April. Yeah, we've got to keep this going, guys. You're a trendsetter, Ben. Oggy, <laughs> oggy, oggy, oi, oi, oi. Right, we better get on with the talking points and the news from France this week. Now, let's get serious. Prices have been rising in France, as anyone who's been shopping or filled a car up with fuel will have obviously noticed. But the stats appear to show that people in France haven't had it as hard as elsewhere, at least up to now. Before we bring in John Litchfield to explain why France faces a possible tsunami of rising prices, as one businessman has warned Emma, just explain why this headline figure makes positive reading in France. Well, there's a French paradox here, one of many. France currently has the lowest cost of living rise in Europe. The official figure is 6.2%. That compares to an EU average of 8.5%. It's 10.9% in Germany. It's 11.1% in the UK. And even the US, which obviously has much less exposure to Russian gas shortages is at 8.2%. And the the low figure is really in large part due to government action. The French government spent about 150 billion on measures to protect the French from inflation, such as freezing energy bills, raising salaries in the public sector, grants to low-income households, all of that. But in spite of that, there's a lot of public anger at the government among rising prices. And although, yes, there is a sense that maybe the French are quite stroppy about this kind of thing, in this particular instance, some of their anger is justified and that headline figure is maybe not not quite how it seems. Indeed. Now, I spoke to John Litchfield to find out a bit more about the story behind inflation in France and just how high prices could go in the months ahead. John, when it comes to the headline figure on inflation, as Emma explained, it looks like France hasn't had it so bad compared to other countries, but that doesn't tell the full story when it comes to rising prices in France. Well, no, that's true. I mean, the uh, the French inflation rate is officially the lowest of any EU country, 6.2%. It's going to probably rise to 7% by the end of the year. But the average in the EU is approaching 10%. Um, it's over 10% in Britain and Belgium and Germany. And this is partly because the, the, the French government has paid to keep it down. They've spent 150 billion euros, which is 5% of the annual GDP, to subsidise fuel prices, petrol prices, They've handed out checks also to poorer people. But that has kept down the headline figure. It has kept down the real figure in terms of what it's really costing people to live. But even the food inflation in France, which is running at more like 10% or 12%, according to some estimates, is lower than in other countries, partly because it appears that they say, and the government confirms that the French agri-food industry has been keeping down its margins so as to keep food prices lower. The question is, how can all this, how long can all this carry on? And the answer is not very long. And that France is therefore kind of, as someone said to me this week, paddling towards a waterfall, because in January, a lot of these subsidies and, and measures which have been taken to keep inflation down are going to run out. And there's going to likely be quite a jump in what felt inflation and real inflation in the way people feel the cost of living is going in January, February. John, as you mentioned in your article this week that is on the local.fr that listeners can uh, read, you mentioned that the French don't seem to care. They don't care that they, the country might be better off than other countries in Europe. This is a similar case when it comes to numerous kind of issues. You know, what is the mood in France? They don't look at the headline figure and go, oh, OK, you know, we're better off than the UK or the US. You know, they just look internally at their own problems. And when it comes to possible protests, that's what will spark it. What's happening in France, not elsewhere? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I suppose that French are not so different from other countries in that respect. I, I don't think um, politically easier to make an argument where the government is, is making a terrible mistake and we're worse off than other countries. 
I think it's harder for a government to make the, the, the argument that if you go to Belgium or Germany or Britain, things are worse off than you are when people are already suffering and struggling to pay their, their weekly bills. France is in a silo in that respect. It isn't aware, I don't think, many people who I've spoken to anyway in provincial France are not particularly aware that inflation is lower in France than other places. They just look at the, what they're paying and find it's outrageously high. And, you know, it's a long time since we've had inflation. It's not something people have been used to as I was as a young person growing up. Inflation just seem normal, like the weather. It's something that's kind of disappeared and people are struggling to deal with it. They do face a problem in the new year. They say that by the end of 2023, inflation should be reducing. I think that may be true, but I think the first part of next year when people are going to be colder, when there may be electricity cuts as well, politically, the country is heading into a bit of a troubled period. Yeah, John, I mean, one supermarket chief in France has mentioned the possibility of a tsunami of rising prices. How bad do you think it's going to get for consumers, for the public? Well, this is um, Jean-Edouard Leclerc, I think his name is, who's the head of the Leclerc supermarket chain, which is one of the cheaper ones. He's making the point that everyone, including himself, he says, have been making an effort to keep the margins down in the last year. But there's a sort of relaxation of that going on and people can't either can't or won't keep that going forever. And therefore, you might get into a spiral where it's just accepted that costs are passed on, prices go up and then costs are passed on again. And you could get into a very dangerous spiral of inflation in the coming year unless that more effort is made by all people, including government, to try and prevent that spiral taking off. I fear that not just in France, but in a sense, France has been cushioned from the effects of inflation. Others have got used to it. And although it may have been politically wise, especially in an election year, to do what the French government has done, it's a bit like sort of coming off the drugs, you know. It's going to be a bit of a shock and sort of cold turkey for Christmas. Um, after Christmas this year, uh, when France finds its prices rising very rapidly when the, when the subsidies are removed. As always on Talking France, we like to introduce our listeners to some famous French personalities in the news. Now... Bernard-Henri Lévy, often just known as BHL, which sounds a bit like a posh Parisian department store, has been in the news. Now, listeners might have seen BHL on French TV chat shows or magazine covers, often with his shirt undone and his hair perfectly styled. He's described as a philosopher or just that great catch-all term intellectual writer. But the peculiar thing about this French philosopher is that he keeps turning up in war zones. Emma, tell us more about BHL. Yeah, I spotted a tweet this week from a French political commentator that really made me laugh. And it said, there is one constant across all crises that have, are or could potentially happen. And that is Bernard-Henri Lévy will turn up, shirt half unbuttoned for a photo op. That made me laugh, but it also got me thinking about this guy because I must admit, I know absolutely nothing about philosophy and I had never heard of him before I moved to France. But this is France. And as you said, academics can get pretty famous here. It's not uncommon to turn on the TV show and to see some intellectual or philosopher being interviewed. And I think Bernard-Henri Lévy is perhaps the best known out of all of these. As you said, he, he is a philosopher, he's an academic, but he's also a writer and a documentary maker and a filmmaker. And he's a very instantly recognisable figure. He's got sort of longish, slick back grey hair, a suntan, and he's always pictured in a, a sharp suit with his shirt unbuttoned, just a few buttons too far. And in particular, in recent years, as, as you said, he's been particularly interested in conflict zones and humanitarian crises. And I mean, he's done some genuinely great works of raising awareness of particular crises and reporting 
reporting on these things. And he's made some visits to genuinely very dangerous places, Iraq, Syria and Ukraine, which is where he was pictured this week. There's a great picture of him sitting in a bunker with some soldiers on the front line, dressed as ever in his sharply tailored suit, partially unbuttoned by white shirt, bearing in mind that the temperature in Ukraine about now is about freezing. So he must have been pretty cold with all those buttons undone. But I think the the dress sense is really what accounts in part for the mockery of him. But it's mostly good humoured, I think. He, he is still a, a popular figure in France. And it does seem to me a, a very French thing that the people should be very fond of someone who's involved in a, a discipline as, um, let's say, not accessible as philosophy. Yeah, I also don't know much about philosophy, French philosophy, but a man who does, who knows more than me is John Litchfield. I asked John what he made of BHL. Well, he's a sort of comic character in a way, but also a very interesting figure. I mean, he, he I think, regards himself as the last of the great public intellectuals in France, some engaged intellectuals of the Sartre kind, even though politically he's much more to the right than Sartre. In fact, he, his career as a young man was built on on attacking the sort of the left-wing trend of philosophical thought in France post-war and and suggesting that communism was just as responsible for almost as evil um, events as as Nazism had. And that's kind of what made his name in in the uh, 70s and 80s in France. He's become, in a sense, more public than intellectual, though, in recent years. He hasn't written anything very interesting or new for a long time. He writes novels which are pan, he makes films which are terrible. And as you say, he appears often with an open shirt and a, a very well-pressed suit and coiffed hair in, in all kinds of war zones, as if somehow him arriving there is going to help. I have to say, on his side, he always chooses the right side in, in these arguments. He was very much involved in, in defending the Bosnian cause during the worst of the Yugoslav war. He's He's gone over to try and help, as it were, the Ukrainians by appearing in Odessa and other places in, in recent months. So, you know, you can't argue that he's choosing the wrong side in these things. He's often choosing the right side. But what good he does is open to question. Now, where in France has been in the news this week? We're going to pick on Paris. Jen, what's going on in Paris? So in Paris, we're talking about electric scooters or trottinettes électriques in French because they came back into the headlines recently after a rider was killed in a collision with a truck. And it's also become known that Paris's mayor, Anne Hidalgo, in the wake of the rider being killed, has been considering banning the electric scooter rental schemes, primarily because of how dangerous they can be. Now, I should start by saying that we are talking about rental schemes of electric scooters, so not like the ones that you might individually own. We're talking about the free-floating scooters that you can rent from companies like Lime and Dot. Yeah, just talking about the danger and in relation to this recent death, according to figures from AFP, Paris counted 22 electric scooter-related deaths in 2021. That's an increase from seven that occurred in 2020. In the first half of this year, there's been 236 accidents. Jen, when it comes to a possible ban, we asked our own readers in Paris how they feel about electric scooters. Now, what was the verdict? Well, I would say it's pretty safe to say that the verdict is our readers are not a big fan of electric scooters. Overall, 80% of people who took our survey, so 76 out of 96, said that they would support a ban on the scooters. And I kept noticing specific words pop up over and over again in the survey, uh, people saying things like dangerous and unsafe. 
I mean, honestly, people just seem very concerned about how electric scooters pose a safety risk to regular pedestrians just trying to get around the city, but also to the scooter riders themselves. Um, one reader who's in favor of the ban, Alex Thanos, said that the machines often litter our sidewalks and streets. And he also said that many users are lawless and put innocents in potentially harmful situations. And then another reader, Tad Frizzle, said that he had been hit by them twice in just one day. And that was a pretty common story. A lot of people were sharing these stories of having to jump out of the way of scooter riders. But to be fair, not everyone wants to ban these e-scooters. Some people see them as an environmentally friendly alternative to rideshares like Uber, and others like them because they offer a fast way to get home during rush hour, uh, besides taking a crowded metro or bus. Yeah, there are indeed many in favour. There is a petition on change.org signed by around 20,000 people calling for the e-scooters to be allowed to remain in Paris. And I was reading the comments yesterday and many of them talk about the fact that it's a great way of getting around. Some people say it's a safe way of getting home late at night when they'd rather avoid the metro. And others just talked about, yeah, it stops them from getting into rideshare schemes, like you said, Jen. Now, things have got better in recent months regarding the scooters. When they first came out, I remember they were just littered everywhere. People were able to leave them wherever they wanted. They were quite fast. Measures have been taken by the town hall in connection with these operators, haven't they? Yeah, so Paris has tried to counter these problems. So first, the city cut back on the number of companies that could rent them out. So now there are only three companies. It's Dot, Lime, and Tier that are allowed to rent out these e-scooters. And then the city took another step, and that was to cut down the total number of scooters allowed. So currently, the maximum number of scooters for the whole city is 15,000. And to put that in perspective, Journal du Net estimated that at their peak in 2019, there were over 40,000 scooters across the city. So that's quite a decrease. And then Paris's town hall has also issued new rules regarding maximum speeds, like you mentioned. So in certain areas, you cannot exceed 10 kilometers per hour on a scooter. Um, and they've also added several new parking spaces, actually 2,500 of them for the scooters in an effort to help reduce the number of them that are just kind of strung about on the sidewalk or the pavement. Now, technically also, the scooters are covered under the Code de la Route, the rules of the road. And that means that you can't ride them on the sidewalk. And there's actually a fine for doing so. So you can be fined up to 135 euro if you take a trottinette électrique on the sidewalk. I think back in September, the, the mayor, Anne Hidalgo, gave them another month or so to come up with even, you know, more measures to improve safety. Those measures will be published uh, this week. And we'll have an article on our website as soon as we know more. So remember to check that out on the local.fr. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Yeah. 
One of the first things that many visitors to France notice, especially those visiting small towns, is how many independent shops the average French high street has. Emma, the question I'm asking you on behalf of our readers this week is how do independent shops in France stay in business? Yeah, great question, because even really small villages quite often will have a boulangerie, a cafe, a grocery, and then in the bigger towns you'll see independent everything, butchers, bakers, wine cellars, toy shops, even quite obscure things like you might find a, an independent piano maker on the, the high street of a small French town. France has roughly twice as many independent shops as the UK, which is a country of the same population. And it's not just small towns either. There was a study from 2000 that found that 94% of Parisians live within a five-minute walk of the boulangerie. There are a lot of boulangeries here in Paris. And the same study also found that a very steady number of independent bookshops, cafes, wine cellars, fish cellars, everything in, in the capital. And this doesn't happen by accident. It's the result of many decades of government policies which are specifically designed to protect small and independent businesses. Yeah, I was just reading about one of those measures this week that, you know, in Paris, anyway, or certain parts of Paris, they're very strict about when a business closes, what business or store can replace it. So, you know, a cheese shop closes, you know, not anything can just go in there and place it. The local authorities are very keen to keep the balance on the high street, you know, between cheese shops, butchers, uh, you know, supermarkets, whatever, boulangeries. But there are other measures as well. It's not just that. Yeah, absolutely. There's absolutely loads. It's kind of impossible to list all of them here, but they're local measures like the Paris ones that you just talked about by local authorities and national government levels as well. So they range from tax breaks to planning rules to limits on discounting, such as the various sales periods that we have. There are minimum charges on items like books. And there are some laws that target a really specific issue. So last year, online retailers were told they were not allowed to offer free delivery. There's now a minimum delivery charge. And the reason for that is very simple, Amazon, the online giant who are notorious for not really loving paying tax. They used to offer free delivery on books and it was essentially a kind of discount. And it was one that independent booksellers couldn't compete with because they had to pay for the price of the book and pay for the price of the postage. So when they started offering online sales, it was hard for them to compete with Amazon. So that's when the government introduced this minimum delivery charge in order to create a more level playing field between your local bookseller and the internet giant that is Amazon. So that's one example. And in small towns, you'll really notice the zoning of shops. So in the town centre, you'll have all your lovely independent stores. You'll often have pedestrianised streets. It's a, a nice shopping experience and then on the outskirts of town you'll find the ugly but essential bits which is where the retail parks go the huge car parks the supermarkets the discount stores and this is often where you find your chains so there's usually a, a mcdonald's mcdo in france there always seems to be one of this chain of u.s themed steakhouses called buffalo grill they're really distinctive because they all have like a red roof with big white horns on it so it's one of the real features of the outskirts of every small french town yeah it's a it's a it's a interesting policy i mean just in terms of popularity recently around here there was a big new building complex being done and a few of the locals were talking to me and they're excited about the possibility of a starbucks coming and in the end it wasn't a starbucks it was an independent restaurant and they seemed a little bit disappointed but is it a popular policy this to protect you know independent stores cafes bars it's mostly popular but it's not uncontroversial because the approach often sees french consumers paying more than their counterparts in the uk or the us i mean it's undoubtedly the case that a book in
in France is more expensive than a book in the UK, and that's because there are minimum charges for books. Uh, retailers can't sell them below a certain level. And as we just mentioned, you can't get free delivery. So it does end up costing people more. But the French government believes it's more important to preserve the small French businesses and try and keep these small towns and small villages alive. Yes, you remember during the lockdown, I think it was the second lockdown when independent stores had to close. And at one point, the government had to stop supermarkets from selling lots of non-essential goods like flowers in order to level the playing fields for florists and toy shops, independent booksellers, etc. Yeah, it was really complicated. And like you'd go into supermarkets and like certain aisles would be just sort of draped off with a curtain so that you, you know, you could go in and you could buy bread and wine, but you couldn't buy books. And that was to protect the independent shops. Exactly. It's all part of this sort of overall philosophy of protecting independence. So I guess the very short answer to your question of how do independent businesses survive in France is with quite a lot of help from the French government. Very, very interesting. Thanks, Emma. English speakers in general are not in a position to give lessons to other nationalities on their ability to speak foreign languages, given we've basically got it easy. But the reality is the French have long trailed behind other European nations when it comes to mastering the language of Shakespeare and Poshpice. A new international ranking published recently suggested the French are falling even further behind. Before we hear from our French language expert Camille Chevalier-Carfis on why the French lag behind the rest of Europe, Jen, just tell us a bit more about this ranking and what it tells us. So this year, out of all EU countries, France scored at the bottom for English proficiency, and the ranking is the Education First English Proficiency Index. And so this study happens every year, and normally France, Spain, and Italy are fighting it out for last place, while the Nordic countries like Sweden, Norway, and Denmark traditionally do very well. But when you look at the French index in a bit of closer detail, you can see age and region do make a pretty big difference. So, for example, if you were to go up to someone on the streets of France hoping that they speak a little bit of English, you might be pretty safe or have a pretty safe bet speaking to someone aged 26 to 40. And the study found that people in this age group were the most likely to score high instead of moderate in terms of their English proficiency. And then when it comes to location, almost all of France's major cities scored high on the English language proficiency, except for Marseille and Montpellier in the south. And this pattern is pretty similar to other countries, big cities being more international have higher English levels, um, while it might be harder to find English speakers in the countryside. But still, this does not quite explain why France scores so low in comparison to its European counterparts like Spain and Italy. So to explain what's going on here, we spoke to Camille Chevalier-Carfis, the owner of the French Today language teaching company, to get a better idea. I wanted to ask you first if you think there are reasons that France has historically not been very good at learning English. Is it maybe a cultural thing? Is it because the way it's taught in schools? What makes France different from, say, Sweden or Norway? Well, what I've heard, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's not really my field, but historically, England and France have been enemies for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that, I mean, I've seen people say that it's because of that, that the French are not too keen in learning English, because, you know, there's a long time uh, rivality between the two countries. In comparison to actually Sweden or, you know, these countries which are much closer to England by the fact they have adopted a lot of their culture and therefore the language. Obviously, you yourself speak very good English and you've lived in the United States for a while as well. 17 years and I'm actually an American citizen. So that's why it's kind of interesting because I think that when you look at my own accent, it tells a lot about what's going on with French people because you 
could think that after living in the state for 17 years, my accent would be much better. <laughs> so I don't know. I think there's a part of uh, French people that don't want to let go of their accent. They don't want to let go of who they are because being French is so important to us that it's not so much a problem for us if as soon as you open your mouth, people say, oh, you're French. <laughs> Have you noticed any differences over the last maybe 15, 20 years to attitudes to speaking English among French people? Would you say it's changed the culture? I think it has. And for that... We have to thank the movies and Netflix. Nowadays, a lot of French people, especially the younger crowd, watch a lot of things on Netflix and on YouTube and so on. And they are, for the most part, in English with French subtitles. One of the things that we notice as well is the difference among the politicians that Macron, you know, he's, his English is very good and he's very happy to speak English in public. And I think we see that with the, the younger politicians as well. Do you think that's reflective of a sort of general social change that French people are more relaxed about speaking English if they do, that they don't worry about whether they should be speaking French? Well, I hope so. There's something also about French culture, which is this fear of being ridiculous. It's very ingrained in our culture. Like French people, you know, they don't easily make fool of themselves. And I'm always very surprised to see that some of our politicians speak English with such a terrible accent. I mean, it's something that's when you have the money and when you have, yeah. you know, <laughs> the, uh, the resource to do it, it's something that it's relatively easy to change. So why do they keep their French accent? I don't know. Maybe, as I said, it's because it's cool to be French and they want to hang on this French persona of them. Or maybe they feel that they will sound ridiculous if they try to push their accent. Yeah, a lot of politicians yeah. don't have the accent that they, they should have, really. <laughs> Really interesting there to hear from Camille. I mean, I think, guys, when it comes to the confidence of French people speaking English, I really notice it. You know, you can be in the company of a French person, especially when I was, you know, really learning French and I would struggle and struggle and struggle. And then, you know, a minute later, they would pick up the phone and speak to some Anglo colleague and they'd be speaking fluent in English, you know, but they hadn't wanted to speak to me in English in person. They, it really feels like a confidence is an issue, Jen. Yeah. So I have a funny story about this. Um, so my partner is French. And when we first started dating, we only spoke in French to each other. And honestly, I had no idea he spoke English. And I remember telling my friends, I was like, oh, the only downside to this guy is that he doesn't speak English. So I can't like fully express myself in the way that I would want to. And then a few months later, my brother came to visit and I was like, oh, is it going to be hard for you to, to only have to speak English with him? And he's kind of like, oh, I'll try, blah, blah, blah. And my brother comes into town and all of a sudden my partner is speaking perfect English. And I was like, well, what have we been doing for the last few months? And just struggling through French. <laughs> my mother-in-law pulled exactly the same trick, although it is thanks to her that my French actually improved. So, you know, we should, yeah. be, gra we should be grateful, Jen. Yes, I agree. I am grateful for that. It definitely pushed me to, like, explain things that I probably wouldn't have attempted in French otherwise. <laughs> Emma, you spend a lot of time down in Charente. Have you noticed anything about the level of English down there different to Paris from the locals? Um, yeah, I mean, not so much Charente, but when I lived in the southwest in a small town, there were hardly anybody there who spoke English, which, again, is great for your French because when the water is pouring through the ceiling of your apartment and you call the plumber and he speaks no English, your French develops pretty fast. But, uh, but yeah, I certainly notice in Paris there are far more English speakers than there are in, in the small towns, which kind 
can be a bit of a mixed blessing. I was out for dinner the other night and he heard me and my partner speak English and he brought over. He's like, oh, I put you the English menu. And on the uh, and the top of it was something called uh, raw meat, French speciality. And I was like, <laughs> what is this? It would have been easier if he'd just explained it was, of course, a tartare de boeuf or a steak tartare. Did you eat it? Yeah, it was delicious. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Really interesting stuff. Before we go, we have some tips for listeners living in France especially. I'll start. It is the Salon des Vins this weekend down at the Pot de Versailles. I recommend you go if you like wine. It's fantastic for tasting. Don't take your kids. You will likely lose them. It's rammed. But you do get loads of independent wine producers from around France. You can buy cases and cases of wine. And I recommend the delivery service. Apparently, you know, don't carry these boxes home on the metro. It'll break your back. But it really is a really good event in the Paris cultural calendar. Anything from you guys? Yeah, I have one that will help maybe save you some money. I like to travel by train and SNCF has regular like sales where you can buy tickets for cheaper prices. And this week it's Black Friday, which is obviously a terrible American import that we're being polluted by yeah, by here in Europe. But calm, it has been <laughs> it does mean that this week there are really good prices on SNCF. So if you have a train trip, if you want to go somewhere by train in the future, go now and book your tickets, you'll save yourself some money. Jen? If you ever have a legal issue or anything, you should always send registered mail in France. But my tip is that you can actually do it online. So if you go to the website La Poste, uh, you can send a lettre recommandée using their format and everything. So all you have to do is just sort of fill in the blanks. And I find that to be a quick and easy way to get that little administrative task done. And it helps you with your, your very formal written French as well, because these exactly. letters have got to be in very formal French. You have to sign off with your most distinguished salutations yes. and all of these flowery French language. Fantastic. Wine, cheap train tickets and official letters. You couldn't really get three more French tips than that to end this week's episode. Thanks to you all for listening. Remember to pass the word on to your friends and family if you like this podcast. And remember, it is funded by members of the local. We'll be back with more next week.